0: Well hello everyone and welcome to Waterfront church band uh, y'all did a great job today um, I usually this is the point in the service where when we're together, I get to say let's have, give give them a round of applause so again, just where you are can we give the band a round of applause? They did awesome. I appreciate you guys Denver thanks for your hard work Well, well done okay, hey uh, real quick, just a little side note I told the uh, told the band this story just uh, before we started today, but uh, um, you kind of go through these waves of depression and euphoria in the midst of this uh, coronavirus isolation, and uh, it's kind of an interesting emotional roller coaster you're on, and uh, a lot of it for us as parents has to do uh, with our interactions with our children. I'm loving spending so much time with my kiddos, and I am hating spending so much time with my kiddos. It's just kind of, anyway, a love and hate deal because we spend a whole lot of time together, and uh, uh, it's just been uh, more good than bad, Uh, but our son Jack, we had kind of a funny moment with him. Um, Jack has been learning the difference between the word could and the word should. And so um, it's interesting. There's a very, very big difference between those words. Uh, However, he has just been using the word should repeatedly uh, to the point that it sounds like he is questioning our parenting tactics. So uh, like, for example, when he needs something to eat, he's been saying, dad, should you get me something to eat? And uh, again, it just causes me to really ponder and think. And again, uh, he'll say, should I go to bed? And again, it just uh, makes a a very kind of a different paradox uh, uh, with everything going on. So I know some of you are some of those similar moments. and I just tell you what I keep telling myself? Absolutely enjoy them. And write them down, uh, post them. Again, if it's funny and not demeaning, uh, uh, post those things so that you can remember them. And again, um, if you're like me, it just continues uh, to bring you joy. God is up to something very, very special in our days right now. And uh, uh, we uh, have got time to really stop and to process what he's doing, and that's an amazing thing. All right, if you got your Bibles, open to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, and then also Genesis chapter 43, we're going to continue in our story of Joseph, all right? Uh, Romans chapter 12, and then Genesis chapter 43. Our study today starts with this question, Uh, does the thought or the sight of someone ever ruin your day? Let me say that again, does the thought or the sight of someone ever ruin your day? Some of you are like, man, lighthearted introduction, and now we get into a really heavy theme. Uh, There are some times where you can see someone, or you can see even something that reminds you of someone, and it causes you to have just some great anxiety uh, as you go through it. I can tell you a a TV example of this is from the great television show Seinfeld, all right? Who was it that could ruin Jerry Seinfeld's day anytime he just saw him? Who was it? It was Newman, right? Anytime Seinfeld saw Newman, he could be in the best mood, and then all of a sudden it was Hello, Newman, right? And that all it had to do, he had to see Newman, and then it just caused his, the rest of his day to be completely and totally ruined. There are some of you who have some people, if you're being honest, you have some people in your life like that. There's a feud between you for whatever reason, uh, sometimes warranted, sometimes not, sometimes something someone's done to you, and sometimes because of something you've done to somebody else. But it causes your day to just be absolutely ruined, even at the thought of that person where this feud exists. Or sometimes you can see an item that reminds you of that person. So back in the day, one of my first serious girlfriends that I ever had growing up, her mom drove a red BMW convertible back in the 1990s. That was a hot item, all right? Her mom drove a red BMW convertible, and then she broke up with me. And so after that, there were some unresolved tensions. There was a feud there. We went to the same school, and so I had to see her at school. And I'm telling you, we'd be driving around, and all of a sudden, I'd see a red BMW convertible drive by, and there were like 10 or 12 of them in Lubbock. And I'd see that convertible drive by, and then all of a sudden, it just made my heart sink. Even the thought of that convertible caused me to drift back and remember about the unfinished business uh, that had happened between me uh, and this girl. Now, just for the record, it's one thing when it's a junior, high, or high school relationship It's another thing when it's a feud between adults, when it's people in your family, uh, when it's people uh, that you do business with, when it's someone that uh, uh, is close to you, someone who's your roommate, or let's just be honest... Sometimes the feud takes place and it's somebody you are married to or someone you are engaged to. We're about to read a passage of scripture that talks very specifically about how to mend those bonds uh, when we go through those times of struggle. And not only that, we're going to find out from Joseph and his brothers, Joseph is going to give us a template, a path back to fellowship with one another uh, when it seems like a feud has come into being. Look at what Paul has to write about this in Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 9. Paul says, look at this. Love must be sincere. Circle, highlight, and underline this first statement. You can sum up this whole passage with those first uh, four words. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, and share with God's people who are in need, practicing hospitality, Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse, rejoice with those who rejoice, and mourn with those who mourn. Now, stop there for just a minute. In this passage, Paul is telling us how to be genuine because that is the only way back to fellowship with one another in a circumstance where things have become strained. It's not a checklist that you have to go through, it is something that sincerely overflows from your heart in order for reconciliation to take place. He starts off the whole thing by saying, love must be sincere. Whether it's a roommate, a former business partner, whether it is your spouse or one of your children, in order for reconciliation to happen, you got to come to a point where you honestly, genuinely, sincerely strive to love them with your whole heart. You ever seen an insincere clap before? Okay, I love the movies where you have the insincere clap. And by the way, sarcasm is a really funny form of humor. But sarcasm is also something that seeks to destroy sincerity. What happens in an insincere clap is when someone will do something, and what do they do? I don't know why they do the face like this, but they do. And it's just that slow clap, like surprise, 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 right? I mean, all of a sudden, that insincerity comes out, and even though you're doing the right thing to applaud them, to affirm them, guess what happens? The insincerity shines through, and it undercuts everything. If you're taking notes, write this down. Sarcasm is unloving, and it fuels your hatred. Let me say that again. Sarcasm is unloving, and it fuels your hatred. For some of you married couples, I'm going to set you free right now. I'm going to save you a whole bunch of money and counseling. I'm going to save you a whole bunch of time sitting in my office once we can finally not social distance anymore, all right? Here's the deal. Sarcasm is ripping your marriage apart. If it is someone that you love and you're trying to reconcile, if you illustrate that through sarcasm and snarky comments, there's a point when it's funny and there's a point where it's just straight hateful. Change the way you talk. Be genuine. Be kind to one another. Nobody understands this better than waiters and waitresses. See, I waited tables for four and a half years at the finest restaurant in America, Red Lobster, all right? In fact, many of you have messaged me asking what the secret ingredient is to the biscuit recipe. I've told you already, you gotta come back to church, and when we're together, I will share that with you personally, all right? I don't wanna get the uh, Red Lobster Mafia on me at this point. So again, I gotta wait and share that with you in person. Now listen, waiters and waitresses understand, you have... A 45-minute to an hour-and-a-half time period where you're waiting on that person to show enough sincerity that they will give you between 15 and 25% of the tip. Have you ever had a waiter or waitress that was insincere? When that happens, guess what you do in your mind? You whittle away at that tip in your mind. And if you are somebody who starts at 25%, if they look at you and go, can I get you anything else? Because they ask you, can I get you anything else? But if it's insincere, you in your mind, "Eh," you erase just a little bit of that tip. I'm going from 25 to 22. They didn't refill my drink. And when I asked them to, they just kind of cringed and walked away. Well, at that point, "Eh," I just have whittled it down to 18. And you know what? They really were frustrated with those special instructions that I had them do, and because of that, eh, I'm going to whittle it down to 15, 14, 13, etc. Here's the deal. I waited tables for four and a half years. If you don't find a way to convey sincerity, then you can kiss your tip goodbye. Whatever it was they were going to give you, it's going to be a whole lot less. Waiters and waitresses understand this. It's the same way with all humanity. Guys, in our relationships with one another, If you want them to know Jesus Christ the same way you do, you want there to be peace, you want it to be where you don't have to see the red BMW on the road and all of a sudden sink into that frustration or when you see that person or see on Facebook or or see online that they're having success or again, you run into them at a social function or again, you just think of them because the Lord brings them to mind and you have those dark feelings, those dark emotions. Those feuds, God's desire is that they end. They end. God's desire is that there would be peace in your life. If you're taking notes, it begs the million-dollar question today. How do we end old feuds and find peace? How do we end old feuds and find peace? Praise God, we have a template for that in Genesis chapter 43, starting in verses 15 through 18. Look with me, if you will. Genesis 43. Starting in verses 15 through 18. As you flip in that direction, we've got a beautiful passage of scripture right here where we are going through the story of uh, the life of Joseph. Remember, Joseph, when he was younger, was sold into slavery by his brothers. Uh, and then Joseph, through a, a set of circumstances that only the Lord could have crafted, his brothers did this awful thing to him. But now Joseph is seated at the right hand of Pharaoh as the second in command in the entire nation of Egypt. And not only that, the brothers are in a time of famine, and the brothers have got to come crawling to him to ask for help. But the brothers don't know it's Joseph. Joseph recognizes them, but they do not recognize him. Joseph then takes one of the brothers hostage, a dude named Simeon. Um, Most scholars believe the reason he took Simeon hostage was because Simeon was probably one of the ones who behaved the worst to Joseph uh, through his time of persecution with them. And then he's told the brothers, bring my little brother Benjamin back so that I can get to meet him, see him, and then uh, even though he does, they don't know it's his brother, bring Benjamin back and then uh, we'll uh, have another conversation and get you some more food. Well, the brothers don't know that it's Joseph, their brother. They just know he's a man of power. Now, look at what happens in verse 15. It says, so the men, these are the brothers took the gifts and double the amount of silver and Benjamin also. And they hurried down to Egypt and presented themselves to Joseph. Now when Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of the house, take these men to my house, slaughter an animal and prepare it for dinner. Underline slaughter an animal and prepare it for dinner. They They are to eat with me at noon. And the man did just as Joseph had told him and took the men, look at this, to Joseph's house, underline to Joseph's house, Now the men were frightened, and they were taken to his house, and they thought we were brought here because of the silver that was put back into our sacks for the first time. He wants to attack us and overpower us and seize us as slaves and take our donkey. Stop right there for just a minute. Underline seize us as slaves. The brothers' fear is that Joseph would do to them exactly what they did to him. Isn't that interesting? We have a feud taking place here even though the brothers don't know that it is Joseph their brother whose home that they're in. We have a situation where the Lord is going to use Joseph to bring about reconciliation but the brothers at this point there is no peace in them between them and their brother. If you're taking notes, how do we end old feuds and how do we begin to find peace with our family, our friends, and our marriages in our business relationships that have become strained? Number one, how do we end old feuds and find peace? Number one, spend a little money on them. Spend a little money on them. I want you to notice in this passage, the first thing that he does when they walk through the door is it says that... Joseph says to the steward, take these men to my house and slaughter an animal and prepare it for dinner. What he does is he cooks them dinner so that they can have an open conversation. He reestablishes a relationship with a small but sincere gift. Now stop right there for just a minute. It's interesting. When you think through reestablishing a relationship, it's not that you are buying your way back in. It's that you are finding a way to be sincere And reestablish that connection so that a line of communication can be open. There are some of you who've forgotten how to do that over the years. You've forgotten that it takes a little bit of effort to reestablish that connection. Parents understand this big time. What do parents do when you've been gone on a long trip and you come back to see those kids that you love so much? It's called bribery, all right? You show back up with a gift. My dad, back when I was growing up, all he had to do was bring me a little trinket All he had to do was bring me a t-shirt. All he had to do was bring me a hat from one of the sports teams he'd been working with, and I'm telling you, I was in his hands. I was there ready to reestablish relationship. There was one time, he went to Romania, and while he was there, he went into a market, and he bought this little box, and if you pulled the little lever on the box, then a snake, a little fake snake zipped out, and then it would just kind of pop you on the hand. I remember, he probably paid 20 cents for that thing in the market. But it reestablished the connection. It reestablished the relationship after he had been gone. If you're taking notes, write this down. Understand the difference between buying them off and peaceably reestablishing contact. There are some of you who have got to the point where you feel like things are disconnected and you desire relationships so badly that you can overdo step one in the process and then all of a sudden it causes the person where something is strained to go, whoa, 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 you trying to buy me off? Whoa, 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 you're trying to buy your way back in? You don't get out of the doghouse that easy. Know the difference between reestablishing relationship and patronizing someone and buying them off. It never fails. A lot of times in marriage counseling, I have a talk with a couple where someone has screwed up, sometimes, sometimes one, sometimes the other, and here's what'll happen. You'll hear from one of the spouses, I'm trying my very best to get back in good graces. And then we'll say, well, what are you doing? And then you'll see this massive receipt for some item that they have tried to buy their way back into the house with. Remember this example. The brothers have done awful things. Joseph is trying to reestablish a connection with them. And it starts with dinner. Dinner is something that is not so expensive, but it is time-consuming. It's very, very genuine to eat with someone. He shares a table with them. For some of you, it's not about the amount of money. It's about the time and the connection, the genuine nature of reestablishing contact. I won't bore you with the story again, but many of you have heard the story about how God nipped my family back together, my relationship with my father through Whataburger and a compliment. I'd been given the advice that I should buy my dad dinner, just like in this passage, uh, that I should have something nice to say about the sermon that he had just preached, and then the Lord used that over a period of weeks to rebuild, to reestablish a foundation for my relationship with him. The part of the story that I don't tell as often is how my dad tried in a similar fashion. I was Whataburger and a compliment. I provided for his physical needs, and then that gave me a reason to pour into him emotionally as well. What my dad used to do, my dad used to love a TV show that came on at 4 o'clock in the morning. He was a traveling evangelist and so after he'd finished preaching it'd be 11 o'clock in the evening and he'd still be worked up it's kind of the reason that I love preaching Sunday mornings more than Sunday evening or more than the evenings right now because I just end up so charged and I can't go to sleep on Friday nights after we do this recording uh, because I just get so filled with adrenaline well dad imagine he was doing that every evening I mean for 22 years and so my dad wouldn't get to sleep until three four or five o'clock in the morning so what my dad would do is he would watch a show (laughs) called the knife show you ever seen the knife show before if you go on YouTube and you type in Knife Show, you can see some pretty amazingly awful videos, okay? It was an infomercial, basically, okay, where on this specific infomercial, um, they sold a whole bunch of really cheap and awful knives. In fact, um, usually the uh, top uh, video when you search for this thing is when they're talking about the high quality of a samurai sword that they have, and so they've got this samurai sword and they're like, man, this is very, very high quality, and then all of Sudden, the sword breaks and stabs the guy in the stomach. Now you don't see any blood or anything; you just see the blade kind of shoot off into his stomach. And then all of a sudden, oh, he falls down behind the counter. And then they go to the other guy, uh, the other uh, sidekick on the show, and he looks at the camera and goes, "We seem to be experiencing technical difficulties." I mean, part of it was buying the knives. The other great joy of the knife show was just how bad uh, the uh, the lead would ring. My dad and I had not been reconnected long in friendship. And my phone would ring at four o'clock in the morning. And my wife laying next to me and I'd pull up the phone and I'd see dad across the deal. And she'd go, why is your dad calling at four o'clock in the morning? And so I'd answer the phone and go, hello? And then he'd go, hey, son, you watching the knife show? That's exactly what he would say. You watching the knife show? I'm like, no, Dad, I'm sleeping. And he goes, turn it on. They got some great deals. That's what he used to say. Turn it on. They got some really great deals. Just for the record, this was not just something that he was making up. When he passed away, there was an entire closet full of cheap knives uh, that he had bought at four o'clock in the morning. And there's part of me that wants to think that he got into that specifically because he desired a friendship and relationship with me as well. I still have boxes and boxes of knives that my father gave me. These knives on the Knife Show, because you bought them in bulk, were no exaggeration, one, two, maybe four dollars a piece for these knives, but it gave us a reason to talk. It gave us a reason to reestablish a connection, and listen, he genuinely enjoyed it, and so I genuinely enjoyed being along for the ride as well. Love must be sincere it is something that has to be genuine. It doesn't have to be expensive, but it should cost you something. That's the thing to remember. It doesn't have to be expensive, but it should cost you something. By the way, Proverbs tells us about this as well. Save your spot there in Genesis 43 and flip over to the book of Proverbs. And we're going to look at verses 18, 16. This is how the writer in Proverbs has to say it. Look at Proverbs eighteen sixteen. It says, A gift opens the way for the giver and ushers him into the presence of the great. Now stop right there for just a minute. This presence of the great is specifically talking about uh, the presence of royalty. But this is so true because there are people in our lives that are not necessarily royalty, literal royalty, but they are people that you desire to be with so badly. Again, someone you're married to, one of your children, one of your former business associates, a friend that you've grown up with, a family member that you want to know Jesus a gift opens the way for the giver and ushers him into the presence of the great. Don't overdo it, but be genuine. Offer up a true gift letting them know I would like to reestablish contact. I've done this well over the years and I've done it extremely poorly. I always promised you guys I would tell you the positive stories and the negative stories from my life. One of the worst things I've ever done happened when I was 21 years old. When I was 21, I had just broken off the engagement uh, for the girl that I had dated for three and a half years. I'm working at Red Lobster, and um, I had a friend who had asked me to be in his wedding. This is truly one of the worst things I've ever done. He asked me to be in his wedding. I was not in good emotional shape. I was ripped to pieces. I was also young and immature. And when he asked me to be in his wedding, I got measured for a tux and everything, and then I just didn't show up. How awful is that? And you wanna talk about carrying a weight on my shoulders. I'd gotten my friend a job working at Red Lobster, and then all of a sudden after the wedding, there was a shift where he and I had to work together. I felt horrible about what I had done. And then all of a sudden when we started working together, he looked at me stone-faced. He couldn't even say anything. He was so angry with me, and rightfully so, he didn't even voice his disappointment. You know what I did that night? I ended up making about $75 on that shift, waiting tables. And I walked up to him afterwards, and I pulled out a $50 bill. And I go, hey, man, it's two thirds of what I made tonight. I said, I'm sorry that I missed out on your wedding. And I handed him the $50 bill. He looked at me and didn't even say a word. He took the $50, he put it in his pocket, and he shook his head. I then walked out and I was like, man, I did everything I could. I did everything. I gave him two-thirds of what I made tonight. And I remember I called a friend of mine and I said, can you believe that? I gave him this money. I tried to reestablish contact and he didn't want anything to do with me. And my friend, because he loved me, said, you just don't think and get it, do you? He said, you messed up his day. He said, it's going to take a whole lot more than you just handed him $50 for this thing to work. Now listen, there are some of you who it's still about a dollar amount. Love must be sincere. Love must be genuine. You truly want those walls to come down and you want the feuds to end. And there are some of you right now and the feud is with someone in your house who you're quarantined with. If that's you, love must be sincere. The genuine nature to it is what's important, not the dollar amount, although you should be willing to spend something on this. Show them through your actions uh, that you are trying to be sincere. It begs this question, Is there a tangible way to show your sincerity? Is there a tangible way to show your sincerity? Now, on the other side of this, there are going to be some of you watching this who have been hurt by someone else. And if you're in that camp and someone is genuinely trying to reestablish a connection with you, I want to encourage you, sit down to dinner with them. Go into the house with them, just like the brothers here with Joseph. Blame me? Are they going to pull me back into this mess? If the Spirit has given you freedom, go with them just a little bit, and maybe, just maybe, God can reestablish reconciliation. Now flip back to Genesis 43 and let's keep moving. Genesis 43, verses 19 through 23. Here's what it says next it says, So. They went up to Joseph Steward, underline Joseph Steward, and they spoke to him at the entrance of the house. "'Please, sir,' they said. "'We came down here to the first, or for the first time to buy food, "'but at this place where we stopped for the night, "'we opened our sacks, and each of us found silver "'in the exact weight in the amount of, uh, in the mouth of his silver, "'in the mouth of his sack.'" Look at what it says next. "'So we have brought it back with us. "'We have also brought additional silver with us to buy food. "'We don't know who put the silver into our sacks. "'Look at this. "'It's all right,' the steward said. "'Don't be afraid.'" Your God, the God of your father, has given you treasure in your sacks. I received your silver. Look at this. And then he brought Simeon out to them. Underline, he brought Simeon out to them. Remember, Simeon is the one who's been held hostage here. Simeon is the one that the scholars are in agreement on. It is very possible that the reason he was chosen to be the one that stayed was because he was the one who had physically hurt Joseph the worst. And all of a sudden, they come back and the steward says, listen, I know of your God. Here's another fun little tidbit in this passage. The steward is in Egypt and from Egypt, but all of a sudden, the steward in Joseph's house has been discipled by Joseph in the ways of Yahweh, and all of a sudden, the steward says, your God, the God of your fathers, has given this to you. God is up to something so special. You know the steward is wanting reconciliation for Joseph, for his master, to see this family come back together and then he says i'm gonna bring you your brother out to show you that we are still on this process if you're taking notes how do we end old feuds and find peace number one spend a little bit of money on them little bit sincere and then number two release a grudge release a grudge in this circumstance he gives simeon back to his brothers He could keep him in captivity as a hostage, and instead, he's taken him out of prison and he's put him back with the family. One of the other obstacles to reconciliation is when we reestablish contact, but then we still hold our cards close to our chest and we still hold on to the anger for whatever situation it is that caused us difficulty. We hold on to that story. Each one of us has been given an amazing gift. We've been given a brain that holds our memories. And here's what we have to do. When something good has happened in your life, when a great moment takes place, all you gotta do is stop, rewind, push play, and then you can relive in that moment in your mind. The problem with that mind theater is it also exists for the awful things that have happened to us as well. When you've endured abuse, when you've endured moments of true difficulty, unspeakable acts, all you got to do is hit rewind and play, and you can leap right back into that moment. Reconciliation is not about forgetting the past. Reconciliation requires you to receive forgiveness from Almighty God And then to release those memories to realize God has allowed these things to happen in my past, but he is allowing it so it can shape me to become the man or the woman that I am to be into the future. Release that grudge. There are some of you that your hatred is coming to define your life, and it desires to rip apart everything that you love. It's a beautiful movie. It was a play written by, Ale- or excuse me, it was a book written by Alexander Dumas before it was a movie, but I love it. You can p- press pause and go to version of this. It was a clean, great movie. In the movie, it's a true a tale of revenge and uh, uh, in the, kind of similar to the Joseph story. Uh, the uh, main character uh, ends up in prison wrongfully. The woman that he loves ends up marrying his best friend, uh, who is the one who frames him. And then, sure enough, he spends his entire life plotting the revenge against this man. Well, as you go through the revenge plot, all of a sudden, the woman realizes that the count is actually uh, Edmond that she had fallen in love with uh, way before, and she says, leave this place, leave revenge, run away with me. And there's a point where it comes to a a head uh, where uh, the count is sitting with his Closest confidant. And the confidant says, you can get the girl. You can get the money. We have more money than we could ever spend. You have the respect of everybody in our nation of France. He goes, why not just win? Why not just receive this great blessing that the Lord has bestowed upon you and ride off into the sunset? Why not just win? And the count says so powerfully. He looks at the man and says, don't deprive me of my hate. Don't deprive me of my hate Now, just for the record, hate on one side, the woman you love. A life of respect, freedom, and wealth and riches on the other side. And even in the book, Alexander Dumas paints it so powerfully. Hate is such a powerful motivator that even then, he still says, don't deprive me of my hate. It's what's driven me all this time. It's, what, it's a consistent in my life. It's what I've been able to hold on to and count on. Our God desires to set us free There are some of you in this room that need to stop pushing play in the mind theater. Stop reliving that hateful moment and start living your life. If you're taking notes, I'll quote here for you. It takes a lot of time and energy to nurse a grudge. And when properly nourished, a grudge can outlive you. Let me say that again. It takes a lot of time and energy to nurse a grudge, and when properly nourished, a grudge can outlive you. Can I tell you what's interesting about this term, to nurse a grudge? Nurse here would not be a picture of someone holding a child with a bottle. Nurse would be a picture of truly pressing someone to your chest and feeding from your own body. To nurse a grudge is to say this is something that I am fueling myself, that I am growing myself, that I am strengthening myself and the truth is the grudge needs to die. If you hold on to that hate long enough, listen to me, it will outlive you and then it's gonna cause problems for the people you love. What if you came to the point that you decided I'm gonna release it, I'm gonna be done with it, I'm not gonna pretend it didn't happen but I refuse to let it have any power over me. Through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, we are set free from sin, and we are also set free from the power of this hate, the power of this shame these grudges have over us. It takes a lot of time and energy to nurse a grudge. And when properly nourished, that grudge can outlive you. Save your spot in Genesis chapter 43. And now flip back over to Romans 12, and we're going to read the second part of this uh, this, uh, verse set, uh, chapter 12, verses 17 through 21. I've always felt like there was a parallel between Genesis 43 and Romans 12. Look now at verses 17 through 21. Here's what it says next. It says over here in Romans, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, look at this, as far as it depends on you, circle, highlight, and underline, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for the Lord's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If your enemy's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Stop there for just a minute. What we find there from Paul is he says, remember when it comes to these grudges, remember that we've got to let them go and trust the Lord. We've got to let them go. And as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. You can't control what someone else is going to do, but you can control you. He says, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. (laughs) That's from the first three verses we studied tonight. Re-establish communication. And then he says, don't be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. You don't pretend like the hurt never happened, but you decide that you're not going to nurse that grudge anymore. It's time to let it go. Just for the record, until we move to D.C., this city can hold a grudge... As good or better as anyone I have ever seen in my entire life. Jordan, am I correct in that? This city can hold a grudge. In fact, sometimes it gets chiseled in stone on monuments in this city. We can hold a grudge as good as anybody. And just for the record, I'm from Texas. Texans don't forget much either. We can hold a grudge pretty good. You Oklahomans, you can hold a grudge pretty good. You Wisconsinites, did I get that right? Okay, Wisconsinites, you guys can hold a grudge pretty good. I mean, we as a people, we as humanity, can hold on to things well beyond our lifetime. Wouldn't you rather be free? Wouldn't you rather realize that God desires for reconciliation? He desires for us to be whole, whole, It begs our final question for this section. Are you nourishing something that needs to die? Let me say that again. Are you nourishing something that needs to die? There are some of you that you start to reestablish that connection in your marriage, and then all of a sudden you're laying in bed at night or you're sitting up at work, and you just kind of push play. You relive the awful thing that was done to you, near you, that affected you, And then all of a sudden, before you know it, you're back to square one. Let it go. Release it. That doesn't mean to pretend it didn't happen. But stop letting it have power over you. Christ died that we might be free. And scripture tells us if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. Now look at our last set of verses and we'll close today. Genesis chapter 43, and let's look at verses 24 and 25. So Simeon's been brought back to him. The grudge has been released. Verse 24, it says the steward then took the men into Joseph's house, and look at this, and gave them water to wash their feet, and he provided fodder for their donkeys. Underline washed their feet and fodder for their donkeys. They prepared their gifts for Joseph's arrival at noon because they had heard that they were there to uh, to eat there. Now stop there for just a minute. Not only does Joseph prepare lunch for them, not only does he release the grudge, does he release Simeon to them, but it says here that in the house he washes their feet and he provides fodder for their donkeys. He feeds uh, the donkeys that they've taken with them on this long journey if you're taking notes how do we end old feuds and find peace number one spend a little money on them number two release that grudge and number three be hospitable be hospitable in your interactions with that person sometimes you can think this that person has hurt me so badly i just want to unleash on them all the time and so the kindest thing that i can do to them is to be indifferent Indifference is not a win. Let me say that to you again. Indifference is not a win if your goal is reconciliation. If you're taking notes, write this down. Understand the value of being helpful over indifferent. Understand the value of being helpful over indifferent. You want to end old feuds and find peace? It's not just about a one-time gift reestablishing a connection. It's not just about releasing that grudge. You also have to make the decision that you are going to be civil, that you're going to be kind. If they've come off the road, wash the feet and feed the donkeys. Sometimes we can say, it's a lot of counseling I've gotten to do over the years, and people will come in with a laundry list of what they did, and they'll go, and they've just done nothing for me. Hospitable isn't about the list of what you did for someone. Hospitable is an attitude, it's a lifestyle that if someone is in need, that you help them because you're a genuine Christ-following human being. Hospitality is one of the greatest weapons that God has given us to fight grudges, to fight feuds, to fight hatred hospitality it says in scripture that love covers a multitude of sins and then in that same passage it talks about being hospitable as a way for us to continue to take care of each other and really break down walls we experienced that in my life i've only been in one fist fight in my entire life happened on the football field when i was in the eighth grade and uh, the uh team that we were playing against the big irony is uh we would end up feeding into the same high school and so only been in one fist fight my whole life i was in full pads and so it didn't hurt Uh, but uh, we got into this fist fight after after a football game and the two teams the whole teams were fighting but uh, me and one other guy were the ones that kind of started it and so it's another story for another day you can go back in the archives and listen to i've told the whole story before short version is so back in the day we end up coming back together And we're doing spring training for our high school. And when we get together to do spring training for our high school, one of the guys that had been one of the instigators of the fight is a man who would end up being my best friend in the entire world, his name's Cleo Andrews. Cleo is a youth minister uh, uh, and uh, now just got promoted to associate pastor at a church in Abilene, Texas. Cleo and I show up to spring training and Cleo had a different color skin than I had. We were both fullbacks in offense. We were both linebackers on defense. And that meant that we were around each other all the time. He had come from a school on one side of town. I had come from a school on the other, but we fed into the same high school. And so back in those days, uh, again, that made spring training a little bit hectic. We'd had a fight the last time that we'd seen each other, and he wanted to be on one side, I wanted to be on the other, but we were forced together because of the position that we played, the positions that we played. I'll never forget, Cleo, after school was over, I was the kid who had to wait for my mom to come pick me up in her Astro minivan. It was on the huge front end, looked like a Starship Enterprise, and I had to wait for my mom to come and pick me up, and because she picked me up in that minivan, I just always felt so demeaned. Well, Cleo's family, because his mom and dad often had to work late. He got picked up from school often, but sometimes he had to get some people to give him a ride home, or it was about a four or five mile walk for him to get back to his house. And after football practice, four or five miles is a long, long way to go. So here's what happened. He would stay on his side. I would stay on mine. We tried not to fight because we were teammates, but there was a lot of feuding beneath the surface. One day, my mom was late to pick me up. Cleo's parents had to work late, and nobody had given him a lift home. So all that was left on the curb out there in front of the field house was me on one end and Cleo on the other. And all of a sudden my mom pulls up and my mom does what she does. She was hospitable. She pulls up and she leans out the window and goes, hey son, does your friend need a ride home too? I looked over at Cleo and he was like, oh please God, no. Okay, please Lord, not this one, all right? And then my mom said the magic words. She goes, but we could stop at Rosa's for Mexican food on the way. I bet we could feed your friend too. And at that point, Cleo was like, heck yeah, let's make this happen. He hops in the car. If you have ever had uh, Roses enchiladas before, you know how he got in the car that day. Can I tell you what's nuts? The Lord would put together a friendship for the ages. Truly my best friend in the entire world. We were fullbacks together. It was a groomishman in my wedding. On some of the darkest days of my life, the Lord has provided Cleo as a dear, dear friend. I look back and I remember a car ride home through the hospitality of my dear, sweet mother. I love you, Mom. Hospitality? is not a checklist. Hospitality's an attitude. And you know what? We as believers in Jesus Christ should be hospitable even to our enemies. If we truly believe what we claim, scripture says from the mouth of the son of God himself, that we are to love our enemies and those who persecute us. When we do that, Paul says it heaps burning coals on their head. They can't get away from it. They can't deny it. And the Lord knits together something for the ages. Another little quote here for you. Remember this with those closest to you, indifference operates at a deficit and not zero. Let me say that again. With those closest to you, indifference operates at a deficit and not zero. If you are one of the people watching this that go, I'm trying to be hospitable, and the most hospitable thing I can do is pretend like they're not there. If that's you, you will not find peace, and it operates at a deficit. Indifference operates at a deficit and not a zero. There are some of you going through struggle in your marriage, and you just need to know. Remember, indifference is not a, a zero-sum game. Indifference is a negative. It's just slowly whittling away at things, and it's all beneath the surface. Come to the point where you step up and you do something helpful. One last little example, and we'll close. I think one of the best examples of this in Scripture actually comes from John chapter 21. There's a feud going on between Peter and Jesus. And it's not a feud in a sense of them being angry at each other. It's a feud in the sense that Peter has denied Jesus. The same Peter who walked on the water, defied the laws of physics with the Son of God. The same Peter who said that he would follow Jesus anywhere. The same Peter who's the one who confesses, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That same Peter had denied Jesus Jesus three times on his way to the cross. And then in John chapter 21, Peter goes fishing with his friends. Reconciliation needs to happen. Too much has been poured into Peter for him just to fall away. And Jesus shows up on the shoreline while Peter and the disciples are fishing in the boat. And Jesus says from the shoreline, Throw your nets over the side, and then a miraculous catch of fish takes place. Jesus has provided for the disciples in that moment and then all of a sudden John looks over at Peter and he goes it's Jesus it's the son of man he's over there on the shoreline and what Peter does is Peter tries to pull himself together it says that he puts on his outer garment and jumps in the water now what do you usually do when you jump in the water you take clothes off before you jump in the water the symbolism there is Peter going ah I've not lived for him I denied him the last time I saw him again this was This is not the way I wanted this to go. He tries his best to be reverent, puts on his garment, dives, and jumps in the water. And as he swims to Jesus, it says that Jesus already had over hot coals, fish and bread waiting. He had breakfast waiting for Peter. If you've read that passage, you know the end of the story is Jesus looking at him and having a very difficult conversation. But do you know how Jesus started that that difficult conversation? by the miraculous catch of fish, and by baking them breakfast. Listen to me. If you are in the midst of a feud with someone, and it's to the point that you can't even see the car driving that their family drives, or you can't even see the TV show that you used to watch together, or you can't even see a piece of clothing without it reminding you of them and ruining your day, I want to encourage you, find freedom. Do the path that we've laid out today. Spend a little money, little but sincere, to genuinely establish a reconnection. Release that grudge. Stop hitting play on the mind theater. That wicked, awful event that happened to you, near you, or around you. You can't change the past, but you can release the grudge so there can be a future. And then finally, live in the attitude of hospitality. Not in indifference, but truly striving to do the right thing when someone's in need. And then it begs our final question today. Are you ruining reconciliation by being indifferent? Are you ruining reconciliation by being indifferent? This is where some of you might say, Zach, you don't know my circumstances. I don't. I just know what works. There's some of you that truly need to let something go. Let God do something new in you. And you would be amazed at the awesome things he could do for those in your family, in your business, for those who you're married to. I love you guys. We're quarantined together. We might as well find a way to live at peace. I believe with all my heart, there've been several of these messages leading up to what we've been talking about Uh, this week. There are some of you that are forced to be around somebody, I believe, just so you can do these things that we've talked about, find real peace and real relationship together. Let's bow our heads for prayer with every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around but just me. Here at Waterfront Church, we call this our time of reflection. There's nothing mystical or magical about this time. It's just a chance for us to stop and to process how we're different because of the songs we've sung, the sermon we've heard, and specifically the scripture that we've read. If you're here today and you'd say, Zach, would you pray for me? Honestly, there is someone who hurt me or someone that you've hurt, and it's time to reestablish a connection. Again, maybe it's someone in your family, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a business associate from the past, maybe it's your spouse or your child. But you'd say, Zach, pray for me. It's time that I spend a little money, it's time I spend a little bit of resources on establishing a reconnection. With nobody looking around, I just want to invite you to lift your hand or to click that hand button and let us know that you're making that decision today. If that's you, just lift your hand. Thank you. Thank you for your courage. If that was you, then before the sun goes down today, make your commitment before Almighty God that you're gonna put a plan together. This is not something you need to do flippantly, not something you need to do on a whim, but truly make your plan and how to step forward For some of you, that might even require an email or that might require a note that you would write to them. I want to encourage you, for someone you trust, let them read over that text or that email before you click send. Let them read over it before you drop it in the mailbox. Make sure that the heart is right behind it. Sometimes it takes a second set of eyes to do that. God will honor that effort. If that was you, I'm very proud of you, but make your plan before the sun goes down today. Second, Maybe there are some of you that would say, Zach, I've reestablished contact, but we just seem back to square one over and over again because all I have to do is hit that play button and I'm right back in the room. I'm right back at that place I was before where they hurt me. If that's you, I wanna encourage you today. If you're saying, Zach, pray for me. I don't want to watch that movie anymore. I don't wanna watch that show anymore. I'm ready to move forward so that that moment doesn't have power over my life. If that's you, if you would just lift your hand where you are right now, thank you for doing that. I don't discount that you experienced incredible hurt, but the Lord is very concerned with you having a future. This needs to be a moment that God used to shape your life and not a moment that the enemy uses to define it. If that's you and you'd say, Zach, pray for me, I'm gonna pray for you. But I wanna encourage you, if that was you, just right where you are, hold your hands up to heaven and say, God, take this memory from me. God, take this awful thing from me. I don't pretend that it didn't happen, but I give it to you and I trust you for my future. Pray that simple prayer. God, I give this to you and I trust you for my future. And then last but not least, maybe there are some of you here that would say, Zach, I reestablished contact. I'm doing my best not to live in the past and replay that movie over and over again. Maybe you were the one that was putting the list together rather than just living in a lifestyle of hospitality. If that's you and you'd say, Zach, pray for me. Pray that I would truly be hospitable to the person that's hurt me and that I would find a way to love my enemy. If that's you, if you would just lift your hand where you are right now. Thank you. Thank you for your courage. Remember what it says in scripture. It heaps burning coals on their head. The idea is not that it causes them physical pain. The idea is they can't get it out of their mind. It is something that the Holy Spirit is so heavy on that change has to take place. If that's you, I'm going to pray for you. But I want to encourage you, make that commitment to God today. Pray that simple prayer. Lord, I dedicate myself to a genuine hospitality. I love you guys. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll stand and worship together. Father, thank you for this day and for your blessings in it. Thank you for the story of Joseph. And Lord, it's so exciting. We've watched this whole journey uh, through, uh, through Genesis. And, Lord, we've been watching the way that you are are making this family whole. And right here in these verses, it's right before you're about to do an amazing miracle in their lives. Thank you for reestablishing that connection. Lord, thank you that he was able to release Simeon back to his brothers. Lord, we also thank you that Joseph was hospitable to them so they could have a real conversation. Lord, I pray this. In the name of Jesus Christ, Go before us wherever and whenever this video is being watched. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ you would use the words that have been preached today, the worship that has been uh, proclaimed. I pray that you would use it to set people free. I pray that you would use it to mend and to reconcile. And God, I pray that you might use this time of isolation as one where we truly grow together. I love you, Lord. Move powerfully. Set people free today in Jesus' name.